Episode 30 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about victory pointers for Splendor. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam, Aaron, and I talk about our strategies, tips, and tricks for playing Splendor. Since this game is available as an app and on Board Game Arena, it's practically free to try and available to everyone. It's certainly a modern classic, and it's so easy to learn that we thought it'd be a great choice for our first Victory Pointers episode. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to the three of us talking about Splendor. All right, so today we are going to be talking about our favorite artificial sweeteners. Aaron, what's yours? Um, Sweet and Splendor. Uh, sweet and... Splenda was the joke we were oh, looking for. Splenda. Oh. Splenda was Splenda. the joke we were looking for. I, I, I was halfway there. Gosh, us. halfway there. I was like, monk fruit? I don't know. That's not artificial, but it doesn't It doesn't have the same glycemic load, I think. Splendor. That's true. Splendor, yeah. yeah. So today, the yellow one. Today we're talking about Splendor. We're going to... Talk about kind of some strategies that we've got at different points in the game, how we maybe approach the game of Splendor in the mid, the early, and the late, which is never how those three stages are presented. (laughs) And so let's start off with what I call the scan. The board game is set up, and Aaron and I notoriously will take longer than we need to on this, where we're just scanning over the cards that are out there. For anybody that doesn't know, I guess, do we need to do a rundown of what Splendor is? I think especially for as you talk through each stage. So that scan, what are you looking at when you are taking in that scan? Perfect. What I am looking at here, so there's three levels of cards, one, two, and three. I'm looking at the first row of cards. I want to see common chip colors between across all of them to see what needs to be taken to limit my chance of not getting a card as soon as everybody else or to get a card first or early in the game. I'm also scanning the nobles at the top to see the most frequent color that occurs because again that's going to get you the most bang for your gem buck. I'm also looking for the nobles, like in addition to just like the most frequent color, it often goes hand in hand with the most frequent color, but like color overlaps. Isn't that the same? Well, it's not because sometimes they'll be like... It's exactly the same color. Okay, thank you, Adam. Sometimes they'll be like three, they'll be like red on every one, but red is only paired with, but but like there might only be a green and a white and a green and a white, but they're paired. So you're working towards two at one time. Oh, okay. So you're so saying you might have less green and white, but the green and white are paired in a way that you can create some synergy if you can if you synergy can get to them. is what he's talking about. And I on see. those nobles, yeah. nobles, yeah, they'll either be three colors that you need three of, right, or two colors that you need four of, and you can only get those cards by having collected from that center tableau that Adam was just talking about. You would have to collect that number of cards. It's never the gems themselves that you're using to pay for those nobles. You have to acquire. I don't know what these cards are supposed to represent. Gem stores, or because you have the tokens are gems. So then the cards themselves are gem mines. Gem mines. Yeah. So I guess you have to have so many mines before. I think that works though. You have to have so many mines before the you can actually take that noble. So, but you scan the nobles for for colors and synergies. Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, depending on, I guess there's an asterisk here for me at least, depending on what the results of some of these are, I will then put a focus on the second tier of cards. And what I mean by that is if in your first row, if there are several that cost four of the same color, those are going to be tough to get to. If there's more than two cards that start with four, it's going to be a slower game of Splendor. It will be a slower game, but that's where if you're already going to spend four, maybe you can get a five and a three on the second row or even work up to one of those more easily and then get some points on that 
uh, as well. So I think it's something to consider. If they're all like two ones on the bottom row, though, I just don't really consider the second row. I think you're just going to be behind schedule because it's going to be a pretty quick game. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And I think there's some also consideration in starting order. I mean, obviously, if you're going first, then and there's one, two, one, you win the two, the two, one, right? Incorrect, because then the other person reserves it. It's the most hilarious thing in the world. Well, that's fair. Are you saying when you say the first row, you mean the bottom level Cheapest. one? Yeah row and yeah. then the second row so are you never is like the third row like who even cares i i think it doesn't even have to be played in the game i mean i certainly will play with okay. it as the game progresses but i don't think it even needs to be considered in the first five turns yeah because the I agree. now i will say the the gems that you would need for it are you you can't collect enough gemstones to get those like you can only hold 10 gems at a time so you cannot off the bat collect enough to get those but they're as many points as the nobles so i'm only surprised that you're like not a consideration where you can get those points faster maybe than the nobles especially if you're kind of looking at maybe if you're looking at those synergies so this is this is just a question that i have i mean i think for me the answer kind of lies in how, like what information i have at any given point in time early in the game i don't really know i know what my goal is going to be in terms of what colors of gems i'm going to gem stores or mines i guess we're calling them that i'm going to be collecting but typically just going for the nobles and using first and second row cards is going to put you in a really strong position. I, I think it's too easy to block you if you're gunning for one of them. For um, If you're getting for a third row Yeah, like it's card. too easy for someone just to reserve the third one row card that you're but obviously going you, for. You could also just reserve that third row card just, just as easily. So as far as someone taking it from you, I think you would just take it yourself before it would even come to that head. And I'm only... I'm only asking about it because of how similar the points are. You're playing to 15. Maybe if there's all these synergies in the nobles, then it, it wouldn't matter. Because once you kind of get to one, you're getting to all of them. But if that's not there, I just didn't know. I'm surprised that you guys didn't consider that. I assumed that you were. I think the, the nobles, though, if you're not going for the nobles, someone else will get them passively is the problem. So it's both a mm, defense and an offensive right. move to get the nobles. That, that's why I think it, I ignore the third row is because I have to get to those nobles before you or Aaron or somebody else does, or I'm just mm -hmm. giving away points for you playing your game. I agree. I right. Agree with that. Well, I think the... The other kind of thing about you said about reserving, and I think you both probably have a different take on this than do I. In general, in a game that's about resource collection and and then subsequent spending, I never want to take the least amount of resources on a turn. Reserving for me is something I do very specifically when it has an offensive benefit for me and a defensive benefit. Like I'm taking something I know someone wants and I am also taking something that I can get because I think if you just take it offensively, like because you want it, you're not getting enough value with just one gold chip. I think that is probably true to how you play a lot of games, right? You're very fine the tried and true path to victory points. But do you feel like that sets you up then to be out reserved more often? And then those maximum resources aren't really going to the thing you want it to go towards. I mean, I think that happened very specifically in the last game, but I find more often than not, I'm fine with, with not reserving things as often as my opponents. I think it depends on how much the cards are. You know, you're talking about that initial look of what's out there. As the game continues it can kind of get into these like a stale pattern where there's all this blue out there and nobody wants any blue. And you kind of see that the cards aren't turning over for a couple rounds. I think then reserving becomes a little different because 
your, yeah, you might take a card and that puts out something that someone else is going to want, but there's some, there's something worthwhile about getting those cards moving again so that people are picking them up again, both for, I mean, for yourself and for the whole table, because when things kind of slow down like that, uh, unless that's to your advantage, you're going to need people to take cards so that new cards can come out so that you can be getting in the things that you need. I think sometimes you want to play chicken in Splendor. Like if the board's super dry, just collect gems and let someone else buy a card they don't need so you can get the reveal. That's it. Every other card gets cheaper for them. I also think that the I value the reserve cards higher because I think that wild chip card, the wild chip is very powerful. I think especially early in the game when you're trying to get like put together these combinations you need. It makes you less susceptible, I feel like, to something being taken mm -hmm. because then you're more likely to buy that next card. I think you catch up faster with a wild chip than three that you've specifically chosen that if that plan changes, you're not getting potentially anything. Well, I, I think there's a lot to say for that, especially if you don't go first and then you can usually see what someone else is saving for already, then make a defensive offensive swap. But I think there are times in Splendor where for me, even though I have this bias against doing the, the reserving, I, like there's, there's points where you have to do it. Sure. I think there's also points where it's beneficial. That's not just like you have to, I think just there are yeah. other play strategies where I think it is. I will I will agree slash concede to the point that if you are going first in the game, the first turn, first move, reserving a card would be pretty tough. Like that's yeah, just three, I'm not three sure what strategy you're on there. I've yet to see it. I would be excited to play against somebody that did that though. This is kind of back to that thing that I would have thought you guys looked at high cards. I could see a scenario where there is a second row card or maybe a few of them where if you got that and kind of started saving up towards that, you could reserve a couple cards that would roll into one another pretty easily. Like, well, I'm going to, like, if there's two that need, you know, like five blue or something like, that, like five and six blue, and one of them is blue or something like that. Something where one kind of rolls into the next, I could see reserving them knowing that that's something you would very likely be able to build toward. They together have a bit of synergy. Maybe those are also cards that are with the nobles, but that would be a very beginning of the game. Like looking at that, I guess that could happen any point in the game, but looking at that, looking at that spread of cards and saying, Ooh, I actually might see something here that no one else is going to be bothered with probably. So if you go and reserve that first, there's a good chance that no one else was even thinking of that. And if that's not the common strategy, that might be a way to go out on a limb and find another find another route in where people aren't going to be taking your cards as much. Well, I, I think in a two-player game... I think two-player would be pretty different. I think in a, in a two-player game, you have to fight for the nobles. In a three-player game, if both the other players are fighting for nobles, I think your strategy becomes almost optimal because you're, you're, not, you're not running against the competition. Like it's going to be all nobles points. Even in a two-player game, I love... I, so... Kelly, you just described one of my favorite ways to play Splendor, actually. Oh, wow, great. Um, we're, we're kind of talking about the ideal when you first look at it, but I I like picking off-color, so like non-noble, relevant colors, oh, and just yeah. running them. I want eight of them, mm -hmm. and what yeah. I'll actually do then is use reserving to just flip through cards. Buy cards yeah. I can't play to try to find that six blue in the middle row or try to find the yeah. seven blue, three white on the top row. At that point. You know what I found out on Board Game Arena that I just didn't realize 
and I'm guessing since it's in there, it's official in the rules. You can reserve a card off the top of that deck sight unseen. Ooh. Ooh. It let me click it and take it. If that's not, if that's just a glitch, so be it. But I don't know what to think of that glitch or valid rule. I'm trying to think of when you would want to do that. I know. Oh, I, I do so. I'm going to do so much from that one. <laughs> I would think that you want something in that row, but you also need a wild to take the thing in that row. Uh, well, I, that's I think my color hunting. Best. When you're when you're at that standstill mm. of like everyone's looking for green and everyone's just waiting for green to flip, you don't want to buy a card and flip it. You just reserve that top. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just does do yeah. your opponents get to see the card? No, and that's the other thing mm. in board game arena. So I played a couple games of this the other night after we three played the other day just against strangers on the internet uh, secretly because I'm just now telling you guys that's what I did. And when they take if they reserve a card that is in that main what is it 12 or 15 cards uh, the the open tableau when they take four times three it's 12 when they take one of those cards you can still see in the log if you hover over it it'll still show you what card it was they reserved so you can't Mm. hover over their name and see what it was but the fact that it was open information i guess they assume you could have taken a note here you go here's the information but when i think when they take that sight unseen card and they have no idea what you then have reserved interesting that is Mm. new information that's fascinating to the experts of Splendor we're, on this podcast. We're learning every day. So I think we've well covered the beginning setup. We're churning on into the next kind of game gameplay strategies. What have, what do have we got up next? I want to ask a question to the group. Okay. To get to get a, a take, maybe even a hot take. Ooh. When when do you want to take two chips? If you don't want to take two chips early, you don't want to take two chips because you won't be able to take two chips. That is my opinion. <laughs> There's never going to be four chips for you to take. The There's two not going to be four chips for you to take two chips later on. And I can't tell you the number of times I'm like, ooh, I think I'll take two. Ch- oh, three chips, huh? It's like, um, I would say 90% of the time that I want two chips, there are three chips there. I mean, we know how, if you, if you know how I feel about taking one chip, you know how I feel about taking two chips. It's hard for me to answer. There's just very specific situations where I feel like I can't do what I want to do optimally without doing it which is just the worst answer ever I feel like two chips get you to the second row a lot cleaner yeah on that i will say and i'll, and I'll go yes. to two second row probably earlier maybe than the average person on that but i do like it for that purpose and yeah of course early in the game i will classically probably take two chips in the first or second round almost every time yeah and I, it's not a bad play early if there's a strong like if there's just a lot of one color on the on the tableau to grab two of that and to kind of limit other people from from going up to it especially if like you know there's two or three cards in the first row that are like four red or four black like taking two there is a pretty strong play the the time where i'll take it mid game and it doesn't happen very often as kelly mentioned that it's available but if i can take two chips and i have reasonable security that my opponents don't know what card i'm trying to buy then i but the two chips help me buy it oh okay that seems reasonable. Like if there's enough card variants out there that like I feel like I can clandestinely work towards a big card by taking two chips, I will. But a lot of times, I, I you know, you, you need to get a little lucky for that to be true. Well, and later in the game, you're already going to have other cards built up. I also feel like at the beginning, everyone's trying to get those initial cards built up so that they can reduce the gym value going forward, which means that as the game goes on, there you can start taking two chips more because there's just more chips in the bank because every not everyone is using them as much so there aside from the thing where people are sitting on them because they are still trying to make some big payout on some card as the game goes on the chip i feel like it goes from chip scarcity 
and then it kind of goes back to the point where people are nearly ignoring the chips possibly depending on how long your game goes because everyone's got two or three of everything and it's just who's hitting the right combinations to start triggering nobles and kind of push to the end of the game agreed i think there's also a spot to take two chips when you know your opponent wants to take two chips and there's five chips out correct i mean i think that's that's pretty i think it'd be tough to really because if you're taking two chips you don't want though to do that then you're not really gaining yeah i mean you'd have to like again for me for me it has to be an offensive defensive thing where like i i can put the two chips to good use and i know i can stop someone else from Having two chips and preventing them from getting two chips is better than me having three chips of different colors. Like, that has to be, it has to kind of line up. I'm not going to just play straight defense. Well, I would only say to chip scarcity, which is something that happens in our games, I feel like constantly, as I just, I was just complaining about the fact that there's never enough for me to take two chips. Now, when I'm playing with you guys and you're taking all the chips, now I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not going to sit over here like some punk, not also be getting chips. So really, when that's not what I would be doing, if there's just one left of a color and it's like, and we'll take the last one of that. Because especially early on, it's like, I'm sure I can put it to use or I can reserve literally anything and get one wild and be able to then put it to use when that chip scarcity comes up, I feel like even if you don't really want to participate in whatever that is, even if you're like, I have enough cards, I have enough for the things that I need. It's just like, no, let me just keep taking these chips and see what other people do about that. Yeah, I think that that kind of leads into a mid-game strategy that is not always the the most received. But if you can if you can get all the chips of a color, the mid-game then becomes very long and very painful yeah. and may even get you low-level kicked out of a Peoria, Illinois bookstore <laughs> that you interrupted their lunchtime game of Splendor and were accused of cheating, which you were not at all, say hypothetically. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talked about your other favorite way to play Splendor, which is to run the, the, non, the non-noble color. And yeah. I feel like the strategy you just mentioned, if you do that in conjunction with running the non-noble color and they're not the same color, like you're just crushing it. Or or if they are the same color, that's not like if you have all the blue chips and then you have seven blue gems so you never have to spend the blue chips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's, that's pretty legit right there. I'm like no one else is going to be able to score. I don't like when the game gets slowed down pretty hard. I feel like I lose the narrative and logic of what's supposed to be happening. Uh, then I just p- pick up pretty chips until it's over. Like, you know, I just enjoy the time there. I, I, I honestly, like, I, I don't like to do that either. I like to play fast and win. Maybe like, it's because I don't know how to force the game to speed back up. Like, maybe I don't feel like I have that accelerator brake on it, so I'm a little more subject to the whims of the group. So then if everything slows down, I'm like, well, I guess this is where we're stopping for snacks on the side of the road while we wait for this bus to get going. I think people don't reserve fast enough in response to it is oh, okay. you just have to get wild chips and, and it doesn't yeah. don't waste your time yeah. doing anything else. And I know I'm giving like the answer to the thing I just said, but like you have to, you have to just take wild chips so that you are, that is now the blue chip that someone else has hoarded. Mm-hmm. Even if mm-hmm. it just functions mm-hmm. that. And yeah, it's not the best value, but the market has, the hand of the market has now dictated that action in yeah. my opinion. And you have to just look at it like that. You definitely let's let's say in the instance where someone has chip hoarded a color and they've built up a lot of gems in that color, like if a high value card in that color comes out, you have to reserve it. Like you can't just let them buy the the big point cards with all their blue gems. Sure, I mean I'm fine with that, but I'm saying before that, like as soon as someone gets yeah. all the color, you should be reserving yeah. so that you have a wild ship at hand yeah. to pay for stuff because mm-hmm. it's just going to be 
it's going to be too too tough otherwise. I, I have a question for the group. I, I guess it's really like, I don't know, a well-formed question. You like, take your time. We're not in, in a rush. In Splendor, when you when a free card comes up that you don't need now, and you need a gem to get a card that you were targeting, do you take the gems or the free or the free card? Like, how do you make the decision the between free... the gems or the free card? I follow. I have follow up questions. Yeah, by free card, I mean a card that you can buy without spending Expending physical gems. Any gems? Can somebody else get it for free? I mean, that's 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 one of the answers to the question. I th- I think if someone else can get it for free, go ahead, Kelly. I have another thing that I discovered while playing on BGA. When you're looking at your chips, this is related to chip costs and can someone else get it for free? When you're looking at your chips, there's like in the top, what would that be? Left corner, there's like a little eye, kind of like the ones you see on like passwords. It's a sort of little symbol. When you click it, it will change the values for all the cards for you, not for other people, but for you, it'll show you the remaining cost for oh, all yeah, of those cards. That. Oh yeah. I that I had also just done that for the first time. It doesn't necessarily doesn't call attention to itself and after it did it saw the game differently in a way that I don't know it was better, but it was like seeing into the matrix a little bit or perhaps what's it's like seeing into Aaron's mind what he's always viewing when he sees a lot of numbers and colors in a resource management game like actually he's seeing blanks and 1 and 2 instead of 6 and 3 and 4. I mean I'm always counting the actual cost to myself in in Splendor. I'm never and I I'm mean, doing the math I, every time. I mean I am also needing to know the cost of the things so like right. I also have to know the cost of things so that I may pay for them with the money that I have in this, you know, in the game money that I have. But it's not the same as I think that maybe you can hold all of those values comparatively in your head. For me, I'm looking at each card and then thinking about it and then go to the next card and then think about it and the next one and think about it, seeing them all at once. So I, that's the tip for I don't think Aaron, but possibly for others when you are getting into this what is the value of this versus that? Clicking that button does show it to you maybe a lot faster. It doesn't help for a physical game, but on BGA, shows it to you a lot faster. And it might help change your thinking about what the value of different things are when you see it as what's leaving. And when you see those comparisons like, oh, well, I could get, you might faster be able to say, I could get these three cards, or I just need one more gem and I could have this card and this card. Because that's where I noticed oh, I could just get one gem and then get this card. And then once I had that card, I could get that card. And then once I had that card, I could get this card up here. So let me maybe reserve that card up here or get the go ahead and get the gem and be ready to reserve something yeah, that's going mean, to be a part of that chain. Yeah, setting up chains where, where you buy a card that enables you to buy another, a, 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 like use that gem instead of a chip for the next. That's, that's when the game starts. Like that's, we're getting, that's towards the end game. Well, where you can start chaining buys and, and not collecting chips ever. Back to your question, though, I think that maybe plays into a part of it as, do I take this free card or am I trying to get these gems to get this other card? I think how they might relate could influence your decision. Yeah, l- let's say, Adam, that someone else can buy it, but not for free. Oh, then no, I don't take that card. Unless, if I don't want that card. Then... Yeah. But I think, Aaron, you're just kind of saying that you're much more highly motivated by the interactivity of who's going to take what and who's going to do what. And Adam Mm. sounds like he's less so. And I described being on a broken down bus on the side of the road, having a sandwich. 
in I, relation to I, I playing think, a game. So I think for me to determine on which stage of the game we're in, I think in the early game, if nobody has points, I'm just going to take the free card. If someone has a points lead, I'm going to stay focused on accumulating points. But I think if, if no one has points or if only someone only has one point or two points, I think you just don't know enough about what you're going to need later in the game to not just take the free card. Yeah, but you're also revealing a card then too. Like I think that yeah, and revealing cards is always, I mean, it's still a game of luck in that way. So if it, you're taking something you don't necessarily need, possibly giving somebody something they do need or something that could be free right. for them or that they could pay for, I think you have to do risk assessment at that point. Well, and actually, I, I think we have a great point. And then I think maybe you make a different decision on taking that card or not taking that card. Not just can they buy that specific card, but how many chips do they have? How likely are they to be able to buy any card? You know, if someone's sitting on 10 chips, you're like, no, I'm not turning a card over. You'll just buy it. But if someone's sitting on like three chips and it's just those three chips, like let them take the card you don't want and run themselves out of chips. And then you have an edge on whatever gets flipped. And back to Kelly's, you know, talking about the chaining of things. I think there's obviously big chains that are fun. And I think in the middle game, those where you start chaining. And I do like... A very specific, I like a reserve a card to get the chip, not to buy it for that card, but to buy the card that lets me buy the card I just reserved. I do think even just mm-hmm. a, a one-two oh, yeah, chain like that is, that's very mid-game for me. That's that strong mm-hmm. mid-game play. And I think it's that, that next level. It's just, just that one level up from basic Splendor that really kind of helps shape your in-game. And yeah. I think they're out there a lot, you know, more than, mm-hmm. you know, if you look for them, I think they are there pretty often. And especially if the the card that you're reserving is is maybe going to be contested, then especially you know you and these contested cards, I tell you, right, there's important. so many cards out there. There's a lot. There's like twenty some cards in every deck, and there's only so many colors. Like I don't know. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're playing against people who are trying to win nobles, you the non the non noble colors are just plethora towards the mid and end game because nobody wants them. But it, that, you know, as we said, that depends on the mix of nobles. Right. If there's a balance in nobles, then I guess And even the balance of how things were dealt out. Anyways, yeah, you're you're kind of talking like, well, you know, there's only four white cards in the game, so you're going to have to get all of them. There's, there's so many. All right. So one of the other things that we consider talking about here in the victory pointers was from behind strategies. Now, from my notes, I had nothing. So I said, get good, steal stuff. I don't know how to come from behind in Splendor for the win besides just playing by the whole time or reserving the one card that is going to give them the victory and you have full well know that you're never going to buy it and you're just kind of delaying the inevitable. I don't know how else to come from behind in Splendor. Do you guys have pointers for that? Oh, that's a, that's a silence. Oh, he leaned in, so I expected the moment of truth. It, it was a real... It, it's not a game, I think, that's easy to come from behind once you get behind, right? Because usually being behind means someone else has built a reasonable engine towards either the nobles or towards the the, the level three cards. Yeah, I guess unless you're behind because the other person got a couple high point cards and you are like one card away from every noble. In that situation, you're not like really behind, you know. I guess that's come from behind, but that's not really the same. Yeah, I think noble synergies is a way to come from behind. So if you can like, like like we talked about, work towards several nobles at one time and like knock them out in the same turn. Yeah. Uh, can you take two nobles in one turn? Nope, absolutely not. Yeah, so you can only do that once and then you have to wait till your next turn to take the next one. Yeah. I think reserving, I mean, reserving reserving key victory cards for for the opponent and using the chip but not buying the card is probably the the cleanest, like, come-from-behind strategy, but... Yeah, you can only reserve three cards at any given time, so... Yeah. I think going for the off-noble 
is a strategy for sure, because when there mm. are going to be tied together nobles, it's more mm. likely that more than one person in a non-two-player game, of course, is going to be going for yeah. those. So I think there's a chance of evening of maybe each person, if you're playing like a three-player game or whatever, ends up with a noble That's or a good point. you're not as far behind on that. To once you, if you know you're behind, go for the off noble. I think the row three cards are your friend if you're behind, because right. some of them are worth yeah. more than that. And I think you just have to jump straight to that as soon as you think you're behind. So you might start if you kind of see there's. Uh, let's give a scenario where green is just not really one of the noble colors, or maybe it's on one of them, and there are like currently a lot of cheap green cards out there because people aren't picking them up because it's kind of an off noble. You're saying go whole hog on those green cards and do what you need to do in the third row to see, especially if you already see a card up there that has a lot of green on it and you can just kind of make your own noble out of that third row and by going hard on one color that people are overlooking. That, or, or even in the case where say Aaron and I are going back and forth towards a noble, right? It's a, it's a, it's a black, white, uh, red noble three of each mm -hmm. and because of weird card flips he ends up like two cards up on me but we're like mm -hmm. towards the the close point of that so like it's hard to full jump maybe to a whole other color at that point but oh, yeah. that's where i just start gathering chips because there's probably something on that top row that's maybe like six red and something so mm -hmm. i'll just start taking red chips then let him get that mm -hmm. noble that's a lost cause i'm probably not coming back right. too behind Start gathering mm -hmm. up the chips to get one of those top cards. Maybe even with the colors I was trying to go towards earlier, but just maybe even just pivot. Not even a full abandon the strategy, yeah. but just pivot or position yourself to where you can be buying those kind of cards. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. I, I think the pivot off the noble, like like don't throw good money for bad if you're not going to win the noble. I think that's a great that's a great from behind thought because part of being behind might be oh we have the same amount of points, but I'm too behind in the noble race that matters. Right, right, right. right. And then, you know, pivoting to, because you can get those, you can, the game gets, ba the game is then balanced because you can get those heavy points in the third row. Right. If the third row didn't exist, the game wouldn't be balanced because you'd never be able to come back from two down or you wouldn't regularly be able to. No, for a second there, I thought, well, I guess you can just play game variants where you, when you have the physical game, not on BGA, they don't let you just go wild. But when you have the physical game, you could play a variant where you didn't have the bottom row or you change the... Oh. Yeah, uh, just just the existence of such a thing seems to make Aaron upset. But when you, I will say, if you ever buy the Splendor app itself for Android, iOS, what have you, there's challenges in there, and they effectively do that sort of thing where they manipulate rules about the game, maybe how many turns you can take. Sometimes it's just a straight up timer, and as you're playing those, they some of them force you into like you only have 15 turns, you have to get this many points, or you only have this much time where when you do manipulate those things, you see things in the game that you wouldn't have wouldn't have otherwise seen. And that might make you more effective than at seeing those other strategies while you're playing if someone's kind of beating you to what your first thought was. I think also, yeah, you talked about like modifying the game a little bit. And, I, and there's one that I would like to officially propose. I think that the first player in a two-player game wins disproportionately because of okay. just setting the tone. Of you get just one less chip, whatever you're taking on that. Oh, other just, than I guess oh, reserve turn. Yeah. So does that mean that if you were going to take two of a color, well, no, you can take two of a color or take two different colors. Right. You just always take two different colors then. Yeah. You would never take. You would never be like, oh, I was going to take two blue and just take one blue. 
when you could just oh, have a blue and a red. Oh, oh, I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. But I'm just, I was just clarifying that if you were going to take two, it wouldn't affect this at all. So, but I got that you guys are never just going to take two on the first turn anyway, because what kind of... Well, no, I mean, you know what? I, you, you, it's great. Because yeah. you, wouldn't you stop someone else from taking two of that same color? Well, yeah, yeah but I'm saying if you, you know what? All I right. think it's great. It's fine. If you if you were going to take two and you were going to have to take one less, then you would just get one. No, I, I, I was just clarifying oh. for what Adam said for the first player thing. I think it's a good rule. I think it's a good idea for a two-player... Because I, I think two-player games are unbalanced. Um... And we don't play a lot of two players, Splendor, but I believe Adam does. Yeah. Right. And it, and it yeah. typically is, not always, but I mean, I would say it's dominantly who went first. Mm, yeah. And that's not really the kind of bias you want to see. I think that's why in a two to four player game or, you know, whatever the case may be, I think that's why there's so often some variant for two players because it's hard to have a game that stays balanced at every player count without some sort of caveat. Often the setup's just different. So I could see that being a thing where you just set up the game different, but the average person may not play enough two-player Splendor to notice that that's what's happening. I could see, if, we, if we're going to take the understanding that if you reserve a card, you still get the gold chip in this scenario, that then it might be optimal then to your for your first turn to reserve a card. Yeah, I mean, there's not official rules yet on this, so I mean, feel free. Mm-hmm. Let's have the, uh, the, you know, people try it. Give us some feedback. Let yeah. us know how that goes and what works and what doesn't. With two-player Splendor, it's still super fun. It just happens to be that one person tends to win. <laughs> and I think it's important, though, because I don't... If I go second, I don't necessarily feel like I'm losing the whole time. Because I think it's very different than other two-player oh. games. You're right. playing the game, but boy, if it's just not consistently showing up that that first player is winning... Yeah. ...more often on that. But everything else what? feels... Like Splendor, like yeah, like the tension splendor. on your turn and the strategy and all those things. It's not like it carries out throughout the rest of the game in some way that you feel like you're always behind. Correct. Uh-huh. Well, I feel like, you know, if you're playing with the same person all the time, then you alternate, then it's fine, right? You just keep a running tally. Like, you know, in the same way that, like, equally matched people of a certain skill level, the white player is always going to win in chess, right? Or way more often. I don't have the data on that, but I believe you. Oh, yeah. Going first in chess is a, yeah. Actually, you know what? It's not a chess show. So you're saying that the inherent bias of going first when you compare it to chess is that that might be fine in a two-player game. And if you were ever doing any kind of rigorous Splendor tournament of two players, you'd want to mix who went first just to overcome that bias, even if you didn't alter something about the way the game was played. You would just kind of accept it as this kind of white player chest yeah. rule thing. Yeah, like we'll, we'll play... Just one contest really wouldn't wouldn't prove it then because yeah. of that bias. We'll play 14 games. We'll see who wins. We'll alternate. Seven and seven. 14 games. That's how long the, the recent world championship match was. All right. It, it is, in fact, not chess. We are talking about Splendor. I think Splendor is a game that is also subject to... I, mean, I feel like we all know our play styles pretty well, and I think we're all decent enough board game players that we're typically going to do the quote-unquote right thing. Or we're going to, even if we pick an off-the-right-thing path, we know we're doing the thing we should be doing. But I will say, having played Splendor with the public, you know, sometimes on this as well, people are just out there doing things, and it's a very yes. different game. They're just yes. taking cards... And just doing things where I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. It does change the game substantially. And 
honestly, because I was thinking about this episode when I played games with strangers online, I was that stranger. I was just doing some weird stuff. And then I was like surprised. There was one, there was a game where I did weird stuff. And then I still, it ended up being like 15, 16, 17 points in the end. I lost, but I got 15 points. Like in that fat, in that last round, we all like crossed the line at the same time. And I was like, well, there's no way this should have happened. I was just doing anything. So yeah, definitely people, maybe some people are using, are just more experimental players. So they are more just like, yeah, let's take this and see what happens. Um, but yes, it does definitely, I think in, in a game where you don't, I mean, Aaron feels pretty combative, it seems, in this game. Uh, in a game where it's not like really direct head-to-head competition, it's interesting to see how people making those decisions sort of changes the flow. I think Splendor is a pretty, I mean, there's there's a luck aspect to it, but I think if, if, you're, if someone doesn't play with intention, like they're not going to win very often against someone who plays with intention. I would say I would say in a four-player game, though, it could be enough disruption to mm. not. I'm not saying they're winning, but they it is changing everyone's game since it's a communal tableau at that point. Right. So, and as much as we're talking about the uh, these victory pointers and these strategies, the game is not actually very complicated. You pick up the you take gems, and when you have enough of them, you take a card. So whether or not they really know what's going on, if they're kind of going through those motions and the game doesn't end super fast, they're just going to have enough cards to keep taking cards. So, you know, it's not the kind of game, some Euro games where you find yourself like stuck and unable to do anything, unable to get any more points. You're probably still going to be able to pick up a first row card. You're probably still able to work towards something. So it's not such a strategically heavy game that that's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think that doesn't become a problem, but I think, and I think four player, it's more accurate to say there's probably more, like the more players, more luck. But I think in a, in a two player where there's not like any other person to intervene, like if you're playing with someone who hasn't had a thought about what color the nobles are, like you're just going to beat them every time. Sure. I mean, I guess we spend time with one other person differently, I suppose, then. <laughs> Sure do. So I, I play with one other person, I'm telling them to like, you know, at that point, like we're pay attention a to the nobles. The you're like, you're like, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe don't suck. But you know what? I bet we that's not how he's phrasing one it. Other person, so. Yeah. If it's anything, fine. I think you need to spend time together so that Adam can kind of give mm. you some victory pointers on how to spend time with one other person while playing a game. But to wrap this up. Do we have any fun strategies or out there strategies to try on Board Game Arena with strangers so that you're the one where they go back to their friends and say, this guy on the internet? Uh, so if you want to do something fun is just buy a row three card like super early. Like just just try to like buy. You can't buy it with like uh-huh. initial chips on that. Uh, I lost to a guy who just bought like. Basically, it was in a four-player game, and he just bought the top row, like the second and top row. I still don't really know how he won. I, I'm not accusing him of cheating because <laughs> that's I, I'm humble enough, you know, because I feel yeah. like that's uh-huh. – that'd be a high ego to be right. like, well, obviously he cheated. I don't think he cheated. I think he just was doing something I've never done in the game, and I think you can win that way. And that's fascinating to me because I think there's a, there's a gem disruption, especially in four players, right? If you're just taking a bunch of gems – to get the top row, other people aren't getting the gems they want by circumstance. 
And you mm -hmm. then just are kind of buying, getting three to five points every five turns while everyone else is kind of bumbling to do anything. And I don't know that it always works. I don't know that I ever pulled it off in the way that this artful gentleman was able to. But yeah. Because there's a... There's a 7-3. When we played, I kind of didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, like, I didn't have some overt strategy. We just started playing, and I just started playing. And then I was like, oh, I should look at the nobles. Oh, I should look at what cards are out here. And there was a 7-3 on the top. I think it was, like, 7 black, 3 white, maybe. It doesn't really matter. But that one is just, just barely close enough that you can collect enough. Because that is 10 total. But if you reserve a couple cards and do get a do get a lot of gems and maybe just buy one or two of the other cards you can get that pretty early on yeah and kind of find yourself with just that again kind of like that private noble to start the game is kind of how it feels so that there's not as much pressure to be passively getting the nobles um you know without having to take a special turn to do so already just kind of having your footing but of course as soon as you spend them all those gems go back into the supply and depending on who you're playing with it's could be hard to replicate that because you've created this drought in right. doing that i think a, a fun strategy might be to play a game of splendor and just make one color of chip off limit to yourself and see how well you can do like you're allowed to buy the the gem cards but you can't you can't take those chips i think it'd be kind of fun mm, different now that is not the idea of fun that I had. My idea of fun was already was already kind of covered, which is just take all of one color, mm -hmm. and then just just play the game like that. Not to win, just have all of one color and just see how. So kind of what Aaron said. I guess my idea of fun is forcing that on someone else instead of imposing it on myself. Turns out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, if you it'd be it'd be, it, 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 I'd be pretty happy if I scored like. 10 points doing that like it'd be hard it'd be hard to like not have one color pretty tough yeah i think a, a fun thing you could do i don't think we've done this i don't think i've done this at all is uh instead of the nobles being random everybody picks a noble they want to play in the game oh like, oh, like drafting, drafting them yeah and i wonder now we're kind of talking about little variations ways we can change it we have the city's expansion which is really like four i think expansions in one box we don't play with it very often, but I kind of, now that makes me think like, ooh, I can't remember exactly how that expansion does change up the regular game. And I don't, I don't know that that expansion is available on BGA. I honestly have not looked to see if it gives you the option. I don't think it is. I know there's one where you played a more points, but then there's like higher value oh, mm -hmm. mines or nobles or something on something. there. There's nobles yeah, like there's meet like different conditions. Super nobles or whatever. Yeah. Something like that. There's one... It's a long game where, like, you put this, like, castle piece on top of cards yeah. so that someone else can't buy it. Like, every turn you move those around or something. So that's just a, that's a long day right yeah, there. I think, I think we played that one once and decided, like, Kelly and I played that one once and was like, oh, we're not going to do that again. Yeah. And I think it's nice to have an expansion, but the classic game is so good. And, you know, for a game that is has such straightforward uh, mechanisms to it, that also means it's pretty straightforward to change them up on your own without yeah. even buying the extra expansion. Because you could just all decide to put out another noble and play to more points or play to less points or, you know, wh whatever the case may be, draft nobles. 
I, I think before we wrap up, I, it, it's full full disclaimer. I'm very confident in all of my strategies, but but Adam and Kelly regularly beat me at Splendor. I was really excited that I won last time, especially because I did not start with a strong strategy. But that's me once again advocating. Maybe you don't always need a strong strategy as much as Aaron's like, I'm making a plan. I'm looking at all my enemies and deciding how to destroy them from day one. And I'm like, oh, right, nobles. I should check those out and still win sometimes. I think in this game, there is there is some luck and the mechanisms themselves aren't so complicated that as much as we've talked about this, I, I think you can still find some good paths and some good luck without overthinking it too. Yeah, and I think it's a game that occasionally will reward like an asymmetric path through. And I think that, that does never really favor me. That, I feel like really plays well into Adam's game style. Like, because Adam will almost always recognize when going heavy in on one color is going to be advantageous and do that mm. before I will. I'll almost always want to stay balanced. Well, if you um, recall the last game we played, there was a point where I was concerned the game was going to end too early because I believe it was Kelly had 12, you had nine, and I had one point. I had a plan. Yeah, but you still... <laughs> but like, yeah, it worked out fine because we ended up like 15, 13, 13 or something like that. Like, it was fine. Yeah, it was close. But yeah. like, I was like, man, if this ends sooner than I want, this will be embarrassing. So... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, Kelly scored fast in that game. Like, yeah. I, I tried to catch up. Uh, yeah, but that and that was me buying that card off the top because I just kind of, I was. You guys were taking chips, so I was like, I'm gonna take chips too. I ended up mm-hmm. with a balance of chips that matched the top, and I was like, I think I can get there. Yeah. So yeah, that extra little footing in that game propelled me forward, and that was something again that I chanced on. So yeah, you gotta gotta yeah. stay inventive. You gotta. Look for look I, for new paths. I think you telling that story and Adam telling the story about the person beating him without without basically buying any first row cards. I think maybe as a group we undervalue the third row. Yeah, I'd be like when we used to we would play and no one would touch it. Oh. And yeah. that's just where it's interesting to play. If you have your own game group, there's nothing wrong with none of you ever touching the third row and still loving playing Splendor every single time. So there's no need for you to, you know, change, but when you go play with other people you see them doing other stuff and you kind of see new depth in the game sometimes and then they kick you out of their little game shop (laughs) thank you so much for listening to episode 30 be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop you can follow us on instagram twitter and twitch at variant hex we have a website and a blog at varianthex.com and you can email us at podcast at varianthex.com Did we actually stream on Twitch yet? I'm not sure. I'm at least a week in the past from when you're hearing this. I I hope we did. The next episode is, you know, actually, I don't know that either. We've not recorded it. We've had a steady stream of episodes for a while, and we've just reached the end of our to-be-recorded queue. So, future's a mystery. If you're listening to these in reverse, your future is quite clear. There's 29 more episodes coming your way. The next one being me and Aaron talking about our game of the month for January 2021. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. <laughs>